Hey there, welcome to the House Music Connection podcast. I am your host, Tony Fuel. And in today's episode, I'll be talking with Knox, a veteran house producer of 25 years or more. Um, I first got to know Knox uh, a few years ago uh, through a mutual connection of ours uh, named Eddie Gordon. Um, at the time, I was a, uh, a very inexperienced producer, um, and I had only released music that um, you know that I released myself. And I think I only had one or two tracks out at the time. And uh, you know, I was looking for a label where I could get on track source, and Eddie uh, made the connection for me with uh, with Knox, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it went from there. And so um, I will be forever grateful to Knox for taking a chance on my record, uh, Change the Vibe. Looking back now, I, I really feel that the, the record wasn't even that good. And so I'm super grateful that uh, that Knox believed in the record and, and in me enough to uh, sign the record and put it out on Track Source. And so that was, my, my, like I said, my, my very first record on Track Source. And so um, I have a special place in my heart for khm you know Knox embodies a true lover house music and uh, he's a testament of tenacity and uh, has just stuck with it through the years and i'm, I'm very impressed by that i, I hope that uh, this conversation sheds some light on how uh, amazing Knox is of a person and then how dedicated he at, is as a producer without further ado let's get into the conversation all right Knox, thanks for joining me um so uh for our listeners who may or may not be familiar with uh with you uh can you give a short version of your story and like um kind of who you are what you're about uh some 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 highlights of just maybe me in one minute or 60 seconds uh let's see well the short version is um i've been a lifelong uh house music producer since the early 90s uh, fell in love with it, uh, just being a club kid in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, most amazing place ever growing up and having the selection of Palladium and Roxy's. And uh, I was even on the edge age-wise of sneaking into Studio 54 one night. Um, mm-hmm. And those experiences as a kid uh, just leave a lasting imprint. And uh, eventually you just want to, I just wanted to become part of that world. So I spent the last uh, two, two and a half decades um, spitting out as much music as I could just because I loved it and I'm still here and um, just trying to you know just trying to grow and enjoy it it seems like you'll you'll always love it it's um I, you know it's definitely borderline obsession uh, <laughs> I'm one of those people that just always has something to prove I think and when people tell you no you know uh, as I'm a Taurus you know I'm so I'm mm, a stubborn okay. bull okay and you know and when people are like oh you can't do that you can't do that um, and I'm, I'm just here to, to prove people wrong. But besides that, um, music has been the best therapy I could ever imagine. For uh, sure. House yeah. music, house music, especially there's just something really spiritual about it that I don't think any other genre can even touch. And the fact that to me, it's the only genre of music that can be endlessly strung together in a DJ mix. Um, and just create these incredible sort of endless tapestries. So there is a, a lifetime supply of therapy out there for anyone who's looking for it, um, just to go listen to your favorite DJ and a mixtape. Awesome. Cool. Let's see. So you're talking a little bit about uh, Lion Light and Roxy and growing up in New York and in one of the best places for house music, uh, especially in the 90s, the 90s there. Um, I know that you also... Um, 
you were you were, you started producing pretty early on after that or pretty soon after that, right? And- I I had um my when I was a kid, when I was like ten, my dad always used to tell me about a friend of his that was an electronic musician and always promised to take me to his recording studio and never did. So I always had this I always just imagined what it was in my head and and mm. then um DJing actually started really young because uh, spending time at Roxy's uh, at the roller skating rink, which turned into a nightclub and the whole thing. Uh, I got really interested in DJing when I was, uh, I think, 12. And so, um, you know, picking up turntables that young, uh, it just, you know, it just becomes this, you know, just this sort of cemented into your life really early. Mm-hmm. And, um I DJed and it was, but I never got into a recording studio. And then I got to college and I actually had a professor uh, who was a video teacher. And one day I'm walking by his office and the door was pried open and there's this recording studio in there, MIDI interface, keyboards, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what I want. Can you show this to me? And he promised and he never did. Mm. Uh, So again, you know, uh, so then I went through college, DJing, parties, the whole deal. And then uh, after school, uh, my first job out of college was doing the Bryant Park fashion shows. And we, after about a year there, we ended up hiring a guy freelance uh, to help out with the sound systems. And magically, it's a guy named John Rock Mateo. And he's got a friend of his, Eddie Matos. And we instantly hit it off. And he invited me down to his house uh, down in the Lower East Side and walk into his uh, apartment down in the projects and it's like a three bedroom apartment, literally wall to wall records, floor to ceiling. The living room was the recording studio. I mean, they had, um, they had nightclub bass bins in their living room where they had, then they had the keyboard stacked on that. They had a Mac classic. So, I mean, this, this apartment must've really angered neighbors at some times. And sometimes (laughs) they probably loved it too. Um, but that ended up being Mateo and Matos of all people, so mm-hmm. I like the minute Eddie touched this keyboard and samples came out, I was like, this is what I, this is what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they taught me the gear. They showed me like what an S950 is. They helped me out with software and getting everything together. Um, we actually put a couple things together that never went out. They're still out there on DAT somewhere and may, may see the light of day, but there are a couple songs that, uh, that John and I did together, just sort of playing around. Um, and so that was, that was early, that was early nineties. Um, and it was, it was, a, it was a combination of a passion of music and the technology. I mean, they were both fascinating, both having all of that equipment to just plug in and make it talk together. It was just like, you know, as a, early 20 something i'm like what is all this and it, it was just amazing that it all sort of interconnected uh and worked and and made music so uh that journey started really really early in the 90s and then miraculously like i you know i put together my first ep mm-hmm. and i ship it off to strictly rhythm and uh and uh nervous and freeze and I think there was one other label, uh, and I literally mailed out my demo on an audio cassette in the mail and ended up getting a message on my answering machine one day from Todd Terry, mm-hmm. who wow. basically signed my first EP 
nice. on on Freeze slash TNT Records, and mm-hmm. it went out on vinyl, uh, and it was called Dig This EP. And the a little interesting history about the the EP itself as well. My boss from the fashion shows had a record collection of the gods. And it was well over 100,000 records of all different genres because it was for fashion shows. Mm-hmm. And he also he had a massive um, selection of movie soundtrack on vinyl. And I always loved the movie Car Wash. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, you have Car Wash. So I take out Car Wash and I put it on the turntable and I'm listening to it. And you hear the uh, in the movie, there's a radio announcer goes, I know you're going to dig this. But when he's saying that, there's like a guitar lick over it. It's not clean. Like you can't Mm -hmm. sample it from the movie. Right. But the soundtrack had that sample free and clear. Nice. Uh, So that was like the first thing I ever sampled. And I made like a six, uh, like a, like a six track EP using that and a couple other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was pretty amazing to use that. And now I've actually heard that sample in a couple other things. I believe Todd actually used it himself a couple of years later in an album he produced. And then mm. I've, I've heard it in some hip hop. Um, I mean, I think yeah. it was in the, the artist Braille used it. He was, a uh, believe it or not, he was a Christian hip hop guy who I was never into Christian hip hop, but the, at the time, uh, I think in, when I was list the, there was, it was a really soulful, Mm-hmm. Hip hop, really jazz, jazz influenced stuff. While things were going in another direction, for some mm-hmm. reason there was a small group of Christian hip hop guys, and Braille mm-hmm. was one. There's one, it's one kid, and I think he sampled that too. Um, and it's maybe it's been out there a couple times. So I will, I'll take the claim to fame for releasing that sample into the <laughs> wild uh, yeah. off the off the record. I found. I mean, you know, like what a miracle is that that you know your boss right. has the cleared sample on a record. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. that was something from a movie that I had watched a million times. I mean, you know, yeah, Car Wash is like, definitely a brilliant movie. Sounds pretty serendip- yeah. serendipitous to me. So that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So were you all? Have you always been called Knox or releasing music as Knox? So, so that was actually the original was under Graham Knox Frazier. I just yeah. put it under my own name. Uh, I mm-hmm. I couldn't think of a cool name, you know, so mm. I just put mine out and yeah. So I did that, and then uh, and then. For, for quite a while, I released a bunch of things under Graham Knox Frazier. That's a couple um, couple house albums, a couple hip-hop albums that I'd put out on college radio back when mm. I was putting stuff in the wrong direction, but it was a direction. Right. Um, and then uh, uh, Eddie Gordon, after working with him and distributing with him for like a year, he's like, you know, that name's not going to fit on a billboard anywhere or you know right. like it was it's a little long <laughs> it's a little wide for you know visually and so i was like, yeah. like hey Knox, you know so then i pick a name that is um incredibly not unique and mm, uh yeah. unfor- so so i but you know i think that motivates me also to be uh be one of the good noxes that are out there uh yeah. you know there's if you do a search for Knox on spotify you'll find a hundred of us yeah. Uh, and, and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of annoying getting lost like that. But I, I think, I think so far I've in, especially in the house music world, I've certainly made a name for myself sure. uh, as mm. Knox. Right. And so. as you said, you want to be the, the, one of the good ones, cream rises, right? Yeah. And so yep. I, I know that with your productions it's definitely cream. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's the cream that's rising to the top because everything is so, uh, meticulously mixed and, and mixed really well. And so, yeah, so it's a good strategy. 
Well, that's also, um, I spent uh, about six years working with Scott Wozniak. Okay. And uh, I had known him, I had actually known him back in the days of uh, Mateo and Matos uh, and met him like two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, just he was at someone's house that I was at, so we kind of connected. But I lost touch with him for years and then we reconnected again. Uh, about, I think it was about, um, 2012 and man, that man has a pair of ears, uh, that are just remarkable. And one of the things you really need to do and learn as a producer is, is how to hear and Mm. just how to listen. Uh, and I think that's, it's honestly one of the most difficult tasks is just to, to train your ear to know what sounds good and what sounds terrible. Right. Um, so how do you uh, go about, um, I guess training your ear what what are the what where do you where do you start it's just time it's just i think it's volume Mm -hmm. i think it's just it you know um i think it's just listening to everything you possibly can and then uh again working with scott in the studio um he would work on mixes and and i was and i start to understand a lot of different things and you know he showed me bad habits that i had uh it's mm. really easy uh when you're self-taught to have uh, a ton of bad habits sure um you know but i mean he you know he taught me things like scooping out the bottom end of mixes so that things don't conflict down there um yeah. you know but again i think it was just uh, you know when you spend time with somebody that's like incredibly gifted you eventually just sort of absorb things yeah, it's kind and of like that's osmosis, what it is. It's yeah. like, exactly. It's just kind of this yeah. osmosis thing. Sure. Um, you know, and so, you know, if you're having a problem with your music, go find someone who knows what the hell they're doing and just go hang out and have some beers with them. Sure. Um, and see if you can just spend time. I mean, there's nothing better than spending time in the studio with somebody who knows, uh, you know, what they're doing because everybody works in a different way. There's not right. two people that work the same way so they can show you new tricks and things. Um, you know, but again, it's, uh, you know, it, when you're, when you're just spend a lot of time with somebody with like incredible ears, you just start to learn things and it, you know, and there were, I've always had problems, uh, you know, with like key and other things too, with mm-hmm. like, I'm not this gifted musician that can go, Oh, that's an A sharp minor vocal. Like I, you know, like I have to work a lot harder to get there than that. Um, you know, but, but you start to understand, um, relative notes and other things as you go so that you do, your brain starts to just function in this way where you start to understand it more. And Mm -hmm. again, it's just from, I think just being around people that are just doing things the right way. Right. So it sounds like mentoring is is pretty important. uh, Oh, absolutely. You know, and and I think it's, I think it's crucial. And the thing is, is that, you know, I always had this dream of like, Oh, I'm in New York city. One day, uh, Louis Vega will mentor me and then I'll, you know, Mm. I'll be on top of the world. And it it didn't work out that way, but, uh, you know, Scott Wozniak is certainly nothing to sneeze at, uh, as far as musical talent. Sure. Uh, and, and grateful to be able to, to have spent, uh, so much time with him, um, and, and to do that. So yeah, if you can always, you know, find a mentor, uh, and, and, you know, I, I know it's hard, uh, because time is, you know, time is short for people. Um, but also I I think that people, uh, people that are successful in this industry want to teach and want to help and want to pass this down. They know that there's, you know, life is short. Um, and you know, so go, go find somebody who maybe wants to teach somebody because, you know, I think teachers love it too, because that refreshes everything they know. 
you know, and it validates what they do. So, you know, uh, if they you know, if you have a favorite artist out there, you know, and especially with today's social media, you know, go befriend that person, uh, and see what you can learn. Right. And it's kind of cool because there's a lot of people who are releasing, um, tutorials and educational content like on YouTube. And so you can kind of have a mentor yeah. from, you know, mentoring from a lot of different people that yeah. you didn't, didn't necessarily have access to yeah. 15, 20 years ago. And now today yeah. with so much technology, you can choose kind of you know, different mentors uh, and have so much access to, to people. And I know that yeah. you have uh, kind of paid it forward or started, you know, you've been paying, paying it forward as well, because I've, I've reached out to you to, to have you listen, take a listen to some of my, some of my, um, my mixed downs, if you will, to, to give it some more, you know, to, to give some, yeah. some feedback and whatnot. Yeah. And you've given that feedback. And, and so it sounds like paying it forward. And is I, was, I was completely wrong well. at the time. I was <laughs> completely wrong at the time, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but positive in my assertions. Uh, sure. no, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this is a community of music, mm-hmm. of musicians and that's what I love about house music is that it's, you know, it's so underground and the people are real, you know, um, maybe there's a few people out there with a chip on their shoulder or, you know, uh, but man, this is just, you know, it's an entire industry devoted to people doing absolutely what they love for mm-hmm. no money or right. barely any, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of other industries probably do that as well. But man, uh, you know, there are, if you, if you remove the people from the house music industry that were making less than a thousand dollars a year, you'd have like a hundred players left, you know? Uh, so it's, you know, uh, and, and so it's all all that, you know, the, the best thing you can do is, you know, share with people and help everybody grow. Yeah. It has me wondering if there's really anyone who who makes a living doing house music and, and they're probably not doing like just production or they're definitely not going to sell enough records to make uh, a living. So they're, they're doing like teaching and coaching groups and that's uh, all that's kinds thing. of things. I, I, yeah. I don't, th- I, I don't think, you know, uh, I'm, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think Louis Vega sales are great, you know, as they are today. I mean, the, the whole industry's changed so much mm-hmm. when I got signed by freeze, I did four songs and I got a check for 1500 bucks up front, $1,500, right? I mean, that's who sees that, who sees that today on any song ever, uh, you know, unless you have a number one hit at track source in the main category, maybe you pocketed that much, but after the split, after it split so many ways, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's probably not. So, um, you know, the, this, you know, but this industry entirely runs on love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's what's, uh, you know, that's, what's so amazing about it. Yeah. And so you mentioned community and I, I think I've seen a shift for you and your tra- trajectory over the last uh, couple of years where it seems like you've been really focusing a, a lot on community. You're kind of releasing things on your own imprint uh, and whatnot. And then just the last couple of years, you've been really exploding with like just the different, uh, labels that you're being on. Can you, can you say that a little bit more about, about that? Well, you know, so the only reason I have KHM, my own label, was because I, I was putting out a ton of music. So what happened was, well, let me back up a hair. So back up to like, I think it was like 2012, 2013, um, and I'm still Graham Knox Frazier, and I literally put out like my fifth 
album on college radio. Um, but it was a direction I didn't want to go in. I mm. wasn't sure why I was doing college radio, but it was the best option I had at the time. The distributor that I met, that's what he was, you know, that's where he put me. Um, so, so I decided to change gears and I end up uh, looking for a music distributor and I find one online, I think uh, through Twitter or something. I don't know. I find one and I reach out and I'm like, Hey, um, I have, you know, I've got some, uh, a bunch of music here. Can I distribute it? And he said, let me take a listen. So I, I, I sent it to him and he's like, man, this isn't really my style. Why don't you try Eddie Gordon at Kings of Spins? Mm -hmm. So I send this stuff to Eddie and, uh, I start just pumping out as much music as I can through Eddie. Um, because I, it just, I had a ton that had been done that I hadn't released and a ton I was working on. So I put out a bunch of stuff to Kings of Spins and then I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I still wasn't in the store. So, um, I didn't understand the whole record label thing at the time. I didn't really have any connections, even being in New York city, you know, uh, it really doesn't help. So I ended up, uh, trying to create my own record label and I, the only thing I wanted to be on was track source. Um, mm -hmm. There were some services that you could use like TuneCore, but TuneCore would only get you on, you know, Apple right. iTunes and whatever, you know, it wasn't. So again, it wasn't genre specific enough for me. So I did try TuneCore for a while, dropped that. Um, and then Eddie ended up putting me in the right direction for genre. And then uh, I started the record label and just, put out a bunch of stuff and what i loved was the fact that there was no pushback there, there was no delay in time it was just i wanted the song out put it out done and i just sort of learned that whole process and i i did that for years um and i i i was at one point i was at the i was just feeling like i was just spinning my wheels mm -hmm. and uh and and then I wasn't sure like what direction to take. Uh, but then a good friend named Tony fuel said, Hey, why don't you try putting some stuff out on a record label? And I said, you know what? I'm, you know, my stuff should be good enough at this point where, you know, I won't uh, be kicked in the balls as much as I think, or, you know, uh, get rejected and all this stuff. So I ended up throwing out a bunch of music and sure enough, I think it was like 14 labels within a year. Like, I mean, it was ridiculous. Like everyone took everything I put out. That's awesome. Um, and then, but on top of that, the, the real cherry was the King street, um, yeah. where I did a remake of Jackie Moore's this time, baby. It's actually the original OJ song. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course I had you do a remix, uh, had, there were a total of eight remixes all together. Uh, King street snatched up both EPs, which was just a miracle for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. Talk about a dream label. And For sure. It, it, it was weird. It was just like, it was just these dominoes that kept falling every time I'd throw an out. I was like, let me try a better label. Let me try a bigger label. Let me try a bigger mm -hmm. label. And then I was like, King Street to me, like it doesn't, for New York City, King Street, all the legends mm -hmm. that are part of King Street to me was just, uh, was just an absolute miracle. So ended up putting that EP out on King Street and then... Crazily enough, like uh, they re-released it on Street Kings, which is their sub-label. Hmm. Um, and then the second EP went out. And then I think they released the the original on like a third like compilation. Mm -hmm. uh, I forgot if it was like Miami or ADE was one of those. 
Yeah. Uh, and and then and then the miracle of miracles, like the literally the perfect storm that I never dreamed of in my entire life, is that King Street gets bought out mm-hmm. by Armada Music. Right. And this thing called iBeat Fund, which is now this huge conglomerate. They literally they're trying to buy like snatch up every record catalog out there mm-hmm. for, for right. good dance music. Uh, and so the the song got re-released uh, on an Armada compilation and put out on like this new King Street. Uh, so that it's like it's amazing to have uh, one song that just had legs that just won't stop. And you know, it's only been it, it only went out on Armada uh, back in August. So I'm sort of thrilled to see what happens in the next year uh, right. while I sit and you know and work on other projects and see if that thing keeps going or who knows but uh you know that was certainly exciting and uh you know the i'm still conflicted whether being on a record label like that is better than having your own um there's there's really great qualities of having both Mm -hmm. um i i love owning my own stuff and you know owning a whole catalog of a couple hundred songs um but with the with the financial state of this industry, I'm not sure relatively how much that even matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but the, the cachet that comes with being on these record labels, I think is the thing that everyone loves and is exciting is the fact that, I don't know, people may look at you differently or respect you differently. I mean, it was the same music I would have put out on my own label, but right. all of a sudden, because this label signs it, <laughs> you know, but that's kind of the way the whole world works. You know, you get endorsed right. by mm-hmm. the big shot and then all of a sudden people look at you differently. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and for me, that was some really nice validation after throwing up hundreds of songs over 25 years mm-hmm. of having things go out and fall off the face of the earth in a week. Right. Um, you know, so I, you know, so it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely an exciting thing to do, but, uh, but also just different. And I, again, I'm back to putting stuff out on my own label cause it's at my own pace. Mm-hmm, right. uh, I mean, I have a, I have like, I think there's still two songs from that, uh, from putting stuff out that still aren't out, you know, and those labels yeah. will get, get to them one day. Right. <laughs> like it would be nice to hear it before the song sounds old. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like releasing music on other labels has really helped you expand your community and grow, grow an audience? Not at all. No. Yeah. Not at all. It's really yeah. It's really weird. Uh, I thought it would. I honestly mm-hmm. thought like, oh my God, my numbers are going to explode. My, you know, my Instagram's going to blow up. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you know, the um, groovy rhythm um, when he, like the couple, the two releases that I did with him, I probably grabbed another 20 Instagram followers, but then I lose two Instagram followers a day. Uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, so I, I, I seem to be, I think I lose more oh. <laughs> than I gain. I don't know why. Uh, I'm also not a, um, I'm not a cool brand as far as like, I don't have a super cool name. I'm not like, Oh, let's go see the dub addicts or whatever. Like, um, you know, it's just Knox. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I actually have a couple cool, I actually have a couple cool, um, uh, aliases, Mm -hmm. but I'm still, but those, because I don't want to promote and push those. I just want to see how they naturally go. Those are, you know, yeah. Those aren't growing rapidly either. So, sure. so no, it's, it, it hasn't. Um, but you know what it has done? It, uh, I don't know why, but my whole life, I just always had this 
thing to prove, you know, mm. like, shit, I can do this. Like I can rock this. I'm, I know I'm good. I know mm. I can prove to the world that I'm good and, you know, putting stuff out on my own label and having some beautiful music is great. But again, you kind of just sometimes need that, uh, verification from, you know, again, from another right. label or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, even on King, even after King Street, I still had this, you know, got to do better, got to do better. And honestly, the day the day I heard the uh, the announcement for the Armada music, mm-hmm. th- this this um this anxiety in me just disappeared, hmm. and it was gone. And I was like, I made it. I you know I did it. Like this was yeah. the goal. This was the goal. I literally spent thirty years of my life trying hmm. to achieve, and it doesn't matter what the effects are. Uh, whether anything else happens from them, like I proved to myself that I could go. climb this mm-hmm. mountain, right? And and I stood at the you know at the peak of Mount Everest and I exhaled, and man, it's just easier now. Um, I, I well, don't good. have this anxiety and I don't have this. I, I don't claw at you know, honestly, like I would work, I would work twelve hours a day at my day job, mm-hmm. and then come home and work another five hours at night on music. Yeah. Uh, and then work all weekends. Like I that's was long, working for, <laughs> for, 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 for decades. I worked, you know, a uh, hundred hour weeks and, um, and I loved every minute of it cause I loved my day job and I loved doing the music thing, but it was like, I just always had to, I just always had something to prove. And like, and then there's nothing worse when you put out a release that just gets crickets, you mm-hmm. know? And you're right. like, okay, the next one, you know, and then the yeah. next one, you know, uh, and then it just becomes this obsession but uh, again, after after Armada, I was able to exhale and just go, okay, um, um, you know, I, I I reached my goal, hmm. and I can relax and just you know, and just not uh, you know, not have to think I have anything to prove anymore. Uh, you know, that's, that's cool. That's a good place yeah. to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I know. Uh, so you talked a little bit about being releasing stuff back on your own label, and then I think I've I, I'm not I haven't been on social media much, but I think that I popped on there. I don't know, maybe a month ago. And yeah. I think you had said something, you had a post out there that said, said that you were looking for submissions for your, uh, for KHM. Are yeah. you, um, how, um, have you, I guess, started receiving submissions and, um, well, I guess you have, cause like you've put a, a few things out from other artists. Like, I guess what's the thought process between behind, um, I guess getting kind of going back to like that, uh, that role of, uh, being a label boss and like having people send you demos and what, what's the, I guess, what's the, what's your, what's your story there? <laughs> well, I, um, I'm at the point where doing the whole, doing all the work for the label, uh, is just, uh, it's muscle memory. It's just, sure. you know, like mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, uh, I was a video editor, uh, as a career. So making graphics, making little, you know, social media, things mm-hmm. uh and just doing all the things required for social media and the label i was just you know uh, it had gotten so routine and so easy for me that i was like okay i can pile in more people now on top of my own schedule and i i basically i i made the announcement because i know that one there's a lot of crappy rec- record labels out there Mm-hmm. Um, when I, so I'm doing this thing where on release day, I send uh PayPal for 25 bucks. I don't know what this record's going to do, but mm-hmm. you're going to at least see some money in your pocket. Hmm. Unlike other labels that will, um, go- maybe ghost you after, 
uh, taking your record. I've definitely yeah. seen that. So mm. I just, you know, I'm one of those people that for some reason always chooses the hardest route, but it's the most satisfying, <laughs> you yeah. know? So my route is let's open the door to people that make good music, that want to be heard, that don't have a record label, that don't want to go to a record label that's just going to take their music and then disappear. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, I remember uh, I did a remix for Tasha LaRay in like 2017, 2018 mm-hmm. for, you know, big label. I was so, so excited. It was Tasha LaRay, one of my, you know, it was like a really great rem- Like, I love the remix I did. And on release day, it went out and there was one Facebook post and the song never even like charted. And I was honestly heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, what, like, I, I don't, how does this work? How do I, how did I work so damn hard mm-hmm. and put this remix out and your label puts out one Facebook post and the song doesn't go anywhere. I'm like, what, what did I just kill myself for and give my music away, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't want other people to fall into those same traps. Um, you know, because out there, honestly, there's a lot of traps and there's a lot of these record labels that, you know, uh, are, are just, you know, you'll, you'll see that they're just there to throw out as much music as they can, uh, and just make money. I understand that. I mean, there used to be a lot of money in this industry and people who made a decent Mm -hmm. living 10, 15 years ago, maybe are having problems putting food on the table or now have to go actually get, you know, another full-time job, uh, if they were even able to do the music thing. But now right. it's becoming so desperate, um, you know, that just people just aren't treating each other well. Uh, and I think that at least in this community, we could, you know, treat each other well and represent each other. Uh, so, I mean, um, the first uh, the, the first release was actually uh, an alias of mine. This uh, it's called Broflex. And uh, I just came up with a funny name, decided to put that out. But then Brother James decided to throw me a dope track. Mm-hmm. Um, funky, funky soul vibe, which, uh, after almost a month is still on the garage top 100, nice. um, with a true to life remix following drop in this Friday. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, nice. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting to pull in this kind of caliber, just opening the door. Sure. Uh, I was honestly expecting to get like a, like dozens of people that I'd never even heard of before. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, you know people like who I am and like my reputation and decide, you know, this is a good chap to go with. So, uh, so we actually have an interesting lineup. Jay Potter threw down one last week uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I've got a bunch of stuff lined up for next year. So we'll see. It's uh, awesome. Again, it was, it, it was just, you know, it was simple enough for me to at this point sort of put everything into my routine so that I could, you know, do the graphics and do everything. Um, I also offer mastering, uh, mm-hmm. If the artist wants it, um, I have a, uh, I, you know, for I, I spent years learning how to master and finally figured a bunch of stuff out. And um, I, f- I figured out Ozone, which is nice, but I'm pairing it with uh, some heavy duty analog tube gear. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I've got like an analog tube, like I've got like a Chandler Limited compressor. Um, we've, you know, we've got uh, like an, uh, an analog tube, um, mid-range harmonizer, um, a back EQ for mastering, like a lot. So it just, it runs through this stack of tubes to warm everything up. Um, so again, that's something I, you know, I, I throw in for free if the artist wants it to help them out. Um, because I didn't truly understand the mastering thing until literally like a few years ago. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I thought I did and you know, you think, 
you know, you think, oh, this is mastered, and then you really A, B it with other stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I always felt like I was missing something, and then things finally clicked after, you know, tons of research and practice. Uh, you know, so again, now it's something I can offer, you know, to people, to people on the label. So we'll see. I'm excited for, you know, for 2024 and to, to see where it goes. Um, yeah. you know, cool. as a small house label, I think, you know, uh, I didn't even think people really knew what it was, but, uh, I, I cause funny enough, I had put out the same thing like three years before mm. and, you know, and got like no response. So sure. yeah. maybe it's now tied in with me being on other record labels. Maybe mm. now, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah well maybe it hasn't i mean you said earlier that it hasn't really being on other labels hasn't really grown your, your audience that much but i think, that, I think there's what, i think there's more than just the instagram likes and the instagram follows i think that it, and, i feel like yeah. it has kind of cemented you a little bit more or embedded you more into the scene and the community like and kind of deepening those uh associations that people have with you at more of a deeper level than just the the vanity metrics of yeah. Instagram and 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 Facebook and whatnot. So. And and the problem is that you know I think as an artist, maybe you will ever experience one or four percent of an audience, mm-hmm. unless I'm out there you know touring the world, standing in front of people. Mm-hmm. How does somebody who's you know always home working on music uh, even know he's got fans? You know. Right. Uh, so I, so I think that, you know, um, I mean, there was, um, wasn't there a whole movie about that, about this guy who was famous in America. Um, and then he ended up going to Africa and realizing he was like world famous over there. Uh, mm. I forgot that it's got, uh, the name will pop into my head at some point. Uh, but there was a whole movie about that where this guy mm. was literally like famous in another country, had no idea, mm-hmm. went there like on vacation and all of a sudden becomes this, you know, like big music guy over there. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- that's the, you know, so I just don't see it because people don't express it through social media. You know, it's, sure. people like to use social media for negativity mostly, I think, uh, than to push times, things yeah. that they love. But I do agree with you that it probably has helped me much more. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that I've done songs that I thought were going to do incredibly well, ended up going out with crickets. But then people who call me up and say, hey, I want a dope remix because I heard you did that. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay. You were one of the four people that heard that song and, and now <laughs> hire me for a remix, you know? Yeah. So it's, a, you know, again, it's unfortunate that there's, you know, we never really feel, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Beyonce knows how many fans she has because she can hear it anytime she goes to a concert mm. and we just right. live in a different yeah. world where, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, where there's 30 people in the shop box on deep. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and you think, well, that's the audience there. And you have no idea that there's maybe a couple thousand other listeners out there, you know? Sure. Uh, you know, and for listeners uh, who aren't familiar, uh, so deep is, uh, D3EP.com. That's the radio station that, uh, you have a radio show on. Uh, there's a lot of us there that, uh, have regular radio shows. It's a good place to hear some deep house music. So, and maybe that's a, and, cool- and a great station. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, what Grant Nelson has done, the, the, the way he programmed the website itself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I, I also, uh, I picked up a gig on data transmission once a mm-hmm. month, yeah. uh, on Fridays. And while I was like, Oh my God, it's data transmission. This is legendary. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no live aspect to the show. Yeah. It's kind of, you upload it. Uh, and you know, the, the podcasts will get a couple hundred plays, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no, there's no interaction that can compete with Friday night 
in the shout box on deep radio network. Uh, right. you know, it's just a funny group of people all having a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, you know, I don't even know where, where else to go to experience something like that. Yeah. It's a great community for sure. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm just doing, uh, I was going to do once a month, but it ended up the way the station works. It has to be once every other week. Yeah. Uh, so every other week, uh, for the next couple of weeks or probably until next year, um, though, a weekly show is a lot of work. It is. Um, I tried and the doing thing the is, show weekly like, for a while and it, yeah, it's too much. One, once you, once you finish your show, you're like, okay, next one, you know, like there's mm-hmm. no breathing space at all. Yeah. And I did that for four and a half, four and a half years or so, like every Friday for like, I think it was at least four years. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, and you have to be an athlete in shape for that. And I am not in that shape at the moment. Uh, and it's also really expensive. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I don't, I, I, you know, I do, I get a ton of promos, but I tend to just shop and play what I find, you know, uh, every now and then I'll, I'll pick some stuff out of promos and there's actually always some, some gems in there, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's, you have to purchase it. So, you know, uh, you know, 60 songs a, a, a month, you know, if you're, ha- if you're doing a weekly show, mm-hmm. those bills add up. They do add up and then, you know, yeah, so it's, it's trying to just ease back into it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> every, yeah, it's always, it's, there's a, there's always a, a different pull and, or a pull, pulls in different directions. Uh, Cause if you're like, do, you know, focusing on mixes, then it's te- taking away from production time. Then if you're yeah. doing yeah. a lot of productions, then you can't make as many mixes or, as yeah. much, and then I, I'm finding that as I try to create, um, valuable content for people for 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 the audience uh that that takes time as well and that's taking it does take time away from production and so yeah it's yeah. all it's never there's never really like a a good balance it feels like yeah yeah it's tough and and then yeah. you know when you have to um when you have to fit in like a family and a day job for sure uh yeah. you know these things can become unbearable i mean the mm-hmm. thing is is that there's never like it, it, the, the higher you climb the ladder so the more the work piles on, mm-hmm. it's never less. It doesn't go the other way, right? You know, because then the more more in demand you are, the more you know people want you to mix this and you know that. Um, you I mean, know, we so, look at like we look at you know entities like Defected, and they've got like all this content that's getting out. They like have multiple mixes every week, and you know, yeah. between Glitterbox Radio and Defected Radio and whatnot, and. We have to remember that they have a team. They have like, you know, a, a huge team people to support that, you know, so we can't uh, think that we can do all of that ourselves without the same team that they have. So, but it's yeah. crazy. But, but the wild, the wildest shit is that the technology lets us compete, it's which true. is what I love. At least we have a chance, you know? Right. Um, you know, I mean, what, what a lot of people in this industry don't understand is that we're at home on a laptop competing with guys in a studio with an SSL. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. busting out a $300,000 console to make a house music track so that it mm-hmm. sounds phenomenal. Right. Um, you know, so the the there are like the levels in this industry are crazy that you compete against. Yeah. Um, but it, but at least you're at least you're in the game. Sure. Um, you know, but that's but you do that's a, it is a good point to just remember mm-hmm. that when you're trying to compete against you know, someone like defected or a lot of these entities, mm-hmm. there's dozens of people. I mean, what, uh, how, yeah. what is the defected a staff 150, you know, know. Or, yeah. who knows? But, uh, you know, I mean, that's probably just one city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, so I wanted to talk about, like you said, um, it's, uh, we, we can compete with like some of these bigger entities or, or brands or whatever. So when you say compete, um, some people might argue, okay, well, this isn't really a competition. Um, 
What um what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it isn't and it is. Sure. Because I think as human beings, we're just competitive people, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and unfortunately, this industry has gone and charted and categorized everything. Mm-hmm. So that everything's numbers. And, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't believe for a second that a song is better because it's at the top of a chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, when I do my record shopping, I always start at the bottom of charts mm-hmm. and work my way up um, because I think that uh, if you're at the bottom of the chart, then you're good enough to get someone's attention mm-hmm. uh, at track source to throw it up there. Even if you're 100th, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I think that a lot of those things are at the top of the chart just because of politics or how, you know, or, or just, you know, someone's track record of sales, mm-hmm. you know, and that's fair. Right. Uh, you know, if you're constantly selling well, then you're always going to be at the top of the charts. Uh, but that also doesn't mean your song is better. It just means you're better at, you know, marketing or have a better, uh, you know, crowd of people that just, you know, constantly buy your music, but it doesn't always necessarily mean the music's better. Sure. Um, you know, I think that there's always a lot of gems when you dig. Um, and then I'll, and a lot of times I'll, um, I'll just, when I'm looking for music, I'll just look under new music and find things that aren't charted. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so much beautiful stuff out there. I, I, I think like if, if someone ever asked me like, who's your favorite artist in the house music industry, I would say that unnamed person that just nailed a song, mm-hmm. you know, cause there are yeah, so many of like those that. people mm-hmm. that just, you know, um, cause I think a lot of people at the top are scared of going outside their own box Mm. these days because they're like oh if i go outside my box then my crowd won't like it and they'll boo me and then you know right uh, and then they won't buy it and the whole world will fall apart <laughs> um you know but uh you know, but there's a lot of a lot of people that don't have a name in this industry that are incredibly talented and you just you know you got to dig for it but that's you know but that's our job as djs to dig for that and to sure. play it i mean i believe i don't believe a dj should play what the audience wants to hear Uh, I believe that the DJ, the audience should like what the DJ will present to them as something Mm -hmm. they never heard before. Right. Uh, I mean, the whole, the whole beauty about growing up in New York city is that club music was club music. It was called club music Mm because it was never played on the radio. Yeah. Right. So the only way you could ever hear it was to put on some clothes, drink some beers, go out Mm -hmm. party and you'll and you'll get to hear music that will never ever make the radio. And nowadays it's different because of the internet. And mm-hmm. I think even you know I think even radio stations are more inclined to play stuff that would be playable in clubs. But the whole to me the whole point of a club is to just play that stuff that isn't. You know, right? Well, and it's uh, and uh, it's, and, it's so interesting seeing how things have evolved because like you know club music was club music, and then it was always underground until it wasn't, and then the um, yeah. you know it started becoming like really really. You know, there was like a wave of, I don't know, maybe like a handful of songs, like a dozen songs or so through the mid nineties that kind of, that were dance music songs or house music songs that got some radio airplay. But then after that, it kind of like fizzled out and whatnot. And then the big explosion of EDM and then, uh, and the, and now this proliferation of all these different like sub genres and whatnot. And so I, I don't know, it um, kind of seems like that we've had like this, um, this explosion of like, popularity in in dance music but then it's also a certain kind of dance music and like this underground stuff the underground music that that you and i create that we like it still is underground you still kind of have to have to search for it and you still have to 
I mean, and you can't, I mean, people still have to kind of find this traditional house music, this, you know, this, they have to, yeah. cause they're not going to like, they're not necessarily going to get it from top 40 or from the, the mainstream uh, music scene at all. They, they kind of have to stumble upon it. To yeah. I mean, to it's going to have to be yeah. internet radio, yeah. you know, uh, mo- I guess mostly internet radio would provide that these days or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. local clubs these kids would go out to would be their best, you know. Yeah. Best place to hear this stuff. But the the thing that fascinates me is that the genre is still alive. Yeah. You know, honestly, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, I mean, uh, you know, you blink your eyes and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're at an age where, you know, where you're listening to old people music, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, but it's still, <laughs> it's still fresh and phenomenal, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, I mean, it's where, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, jazz or Sinatra when I was a kid, you mm-hmm. know, right. um, but the fact that it's still thriving not yeah. only is it you know it, it's thriving on so many different levels mm-hmm. um you know and and i think you know the edm thing i just love the way it exposed everything and bro- opened you know raises the ceiling and raises the bar absolutely you know? yeah uh p- people can complain about it but i mean what's wrong with having a higher ceiling especially with an industry that you know always seemed to be like super underground right because there's going to be uh, that entry point for for people i mean for my entry point to house music wasn't through necessarily the underground i mean um you know of course i like pop music and i i I first heard you know house music as like black box you know strike it up and and whatnot Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that that was my exposure my first exposure to to house music but where do you find i didn't know how to find the scene or anything like that until um you know i i I started going to clubs (laughs) yeah yeah so and that's the thing about, and, and, yeah. the, and you know and the club world and the radio world are two separate universes absolutely um and i think they mm-hmm. collide more today you know because i think because now you can go into a club that will just be open genre mm-hmm. i mean that's not the club for me right but um but you know but it is there for people that you know want to hear the same thing they heard on the radio for lunch mm-hmm. um but again there's still you know uh there will always be an underground scene mm-hmm. um I mean, I mean, I think in a hundred years from now, we're still going to see the same thing. It's still going to mm-hmm. be house music going strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, he just, you come across something in your life and you're like, man, that's it. Like it hits the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just something about house music to me that's just so special. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just raw and dirty and, and emotional. For sure. You know? And and I think that most most of the house music that I grew up on was unpolished. Um mm. and and because it was, you know, mostly people with crappy recording studios. I mean, for me that mm-hmm. the house music was, you know, you're making it in your house. So, you know, you got a little Mackie digital console or not even that you had a Mackie 32 bus back in the day and you know and some synth machines and stuff and you put this thing together and you know you heard the hum in the line from the electricity in your house I mean you know so I mean there were you know it it was just it's just raw and dirty but the you know this music is all about emotion you know like for sure I mean it's fun to strive and to make phenomenal recordings but let's not forget it never started like that and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter you know like if like you know, uh, if your song is dope and sounds a little off, who cares? Sure. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's see. I wanted to ask you about, um, maybe they were switching gears a little bit, gears a little bit. So you have, you've sure. been doing the radio show, uh, for several years. I, um, got back into it, uh, recently. And then, um, have you spent much time playing out? Like, have you played your tracks so, to an so, audience of so, people? So that's the one factor in my life. That's the one door that hasn't opened. Hmm. Um, I 
I, I was DJing when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, my first job out of college, DJing for fashion shows. Uh, I DJed a bunch of nightclubs in New York city Mm -hmm. and, uh, I had a major life change. And so I had a career change, uh, falling out at the job. So I ended up becoming a, uh, a television show editor. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I guess it's called an avid editor, uh, as a career. So I ended up doing that at, uh, like, uh, Sony and MTV and Viacom and it was a whirlwind of magic. Like I, I, mm. I put my foot in the door and all of a sudden my life takes off and, you know, I grew up this poor kid and I'm like, mm. wait a minute, I got a job with money and working for MTV and doing things. And, but it was a around the clock job. Mm. Um, you, you're either on staff working all day or you're freelancing and you're available 24 seven. So I couldn't, I really was always a bit worried about trying to get back into the whole DJ thing uh, mm. and focusing on the, the, on that career. And then again, I ended up doing that for 25 years. And at the end, uh, worked for some really high profile TV shows where I was like, I'm not risking, I can't, you know, I can't go out DJing tonight and show up tomorrow. Half yeah, right. Uh, so, so I just, those doors never opened and I never tried pushing them open. Mm. Um, in 2019, I said goodbye to my day job mm. and shifted gears to music. And then COVID hit. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. shit. Okay, what now? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, mm. so, so no. So that's the one door that still hasn't opened. Um, I'm still trying to figure that whole thing out. I, I kind of thought, Maybe if I got on some of these big record labels, someone might invite me to DJ at a dope club. But uh, mm. <laughs> I think that if I were in the UK, I'd be D- DJing like every day at another place. Yeah, um, maybe. But yeah. the scene over in, in New York City is it's just it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think that that's going to be that's definitely part of my future. And in like the next chapter mm-hmm. um, and just waiting to see. But also it, it'll um, happen. And I know I, I've lived in the I've lived in the Northeast for most of my life, and can no longer tolerate winter. Yeah, um, and believe I will be moving next summer mm. out west. Uh, okay, uh, to like the Phoenix, Vegas, California, Palm Springsish area where it's never less than a hundred degrees, mm. and uh, mm-hmm. and th- and then I'll I'll figure it out from there because I will be f- like sort of you know fully retired from everything, mm-hmm. and we can figure it out. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, um, it's also tough for me to travel wor- from where I am at the moment. So again, once I'm out West and I change a few things in my life, hopefully those doors will start opening. For sure. So what, so what is your dream gig for, for DJing? Um, wow. You know, all those clubs are closed. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's the sad thing. Uh, you know, the music's uh, still here, but the club, the, the yeah, the music's you know, still here, but um, the clubs are closed. But honestly, I, I, I think, I think, I think, I, I would, I'd love to, you know, spend a month or two in Ibiza and, mm. you know, yeah. spend, uh, playing some clubs there. Um, but honestly, through through Deep Radio, I've met so many phenomenal people from the UK and, mm-hmm. and get so much love, and uh, they invited me out there next year to do something. So. Awesome. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully I will be out there and spinning a bit. I think honestly, like to me globally, 
I have to, it seems like there's more passion in the UK about house music than in any other place I've ever seen. I think that's um, always been the case. Like, yeah, since the, since and, the nineties or eight, late eighties. I didn't even. know about it. And, yeah. and, but that's the whole thing. It's like, I missed out on the UK house scene in the eighties and nineties because there was no internet. Yeah. So here I am over here loving it and, you know, and, and going to clubs every single night, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for decades and didn't really even, I mean, I knew, like, I, I went to, uh, when I was in college, I went to London, and we went to the Hippodrome, and Busby's, and like a couple nightclubs, mm-hmm. and, and it was a blast, but I, you know, but I was like, I, I just didn't know, I didn't think that there was a scene or anything, I just thought, oh, you know, every every city has some nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but when I joined the Deep Radio Network, and, and, and I think, but, uh, that and like a ton of friends on Facebook from the UK, I was like, holy shit, these people are like mad about house music, even more so right. than here. For sure. And they seem, they seem to also really support their, you know, their artists, uh, you know, more so. Uh, I mean, certainly maybe not this genre, but certainly in other genres, you can see, you know, their Europe is tossing out, you know, $60 million to, you know, uh, you know, to other artists, mm-hmm. you know, putting them up there. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't see any, I don't see anyone over here making 60 mil. I'm not even sure if Louis <laughs> Vega makes that, yeah. uh, you know? Uh, so, so there's absolutely so much love. So UK definitely, uh, in Spain. Um, and then, you know, so I'm just throwing those out there. So hopefully I'll be there next year and, and we'll see. Well, put it out into the universe and hopefully, uh, the universe will hear it. I'm sure it will. So, yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a really good conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And um, for for anyone listening, who how what is the best place or how do they find out more about Knox and where's the best place to find out more about you well, and connect with you? Let's see. There's there's certainly um, my entire catalog would be on TrackSource. So it, yeah. just look up Knox, search for K N O X. Okay. Knox on track source. I should be the first one popping up there. You'll see a picture of me. I'll be, I'll be um, sure to put that, a link in the, in the notes for the show. Oh, yeah. oh great. Uh, yeah. that, that and, and Facebook, uh, I mean, it's, you know, Graham Knox Frazier. I also have a Knox thing and, um, I, which I'm trying to put more energy into it, It's, you know, it's, it's hard to think to post seven different times for the, mm-hmm. all the different accounts we have. Uh, but Graham Knox Frazier at Facebook. Um, I still have room for a couple of, for 40 or so friends, before I hit the limit. Um, <laughs> and you can, you know, you can watch me there. I, I certainly like to post about all this stuff and share it. Um, and hope, uh, hope, hoping that, uh, hoping that I inspire people, uh, to, awesome. you know, yeah. to, to follow their heart and to do what they love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life is short and honestly, I've spent so many decades and so much money and time doing house music and, uh, I don't regret a minute of it because it's That's just, awesome. you know, for me, it's just, a, it's, you know, it's for the love what of I it, get from it spiritually sure. and mm-hmm. emotionally, yeah. you know, uh, that's all that matters. I mean, and I think I, I heard this beautiful quote from, uh, from Rick Rubin recently. And he, he even said like, you know, um, he said, when you put out a piece of music, don't, don't even worry about what happens to it. Don't worry about how people react to it. As long as you're happy with it. Mm-hmm. He said, that is your offering to God. That's on mm. a much higher level. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was like, that's pretty deep. You know, it's really deep. Uh, yeah. You know, so, that's... you know, and, and again, you know, we can have a lot of anxiety as artists, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of stress we put up with and competition and seeing other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it can get really frustrating, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in, in, you know, just keep trucking. And if you got to take a break or, you know, people say don't quit, mm-hmm. honestly quit if you have to. And, and if you get back into it, you get back into it, you know, but like take breaks when you need to, don't worry right. about quitting. Don't worry about anything to literally just, you know, just go with it. And, but the, I think one of the, one of the keys to success is honestly keep trying and in this industry, you know, you just, it's very repetitive, but like each time try to just change something different a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. so that yeah. you can compare it with another method of doing something, you know, I mean, I've done everything the wrong way a million times, um, you know, and eventually, you know, eventually you'll, you, you figure it out and, and it clicks, you know, um, but it's, you know, but it's because it feeds the soul, Yeah, you know, um, and I, I don't even honestly like, you know, uh, when I when my, when I left my day job, I was, you know, if if I didn't have another thing in my life, I'd have been like, what the hell now? What am I mm. gonna do? You know, yeah. uh, sit sit and watch all Netflix. So you know, it's it's wonderful to you know spend a lot of time and become good or decent at something, and there will be a time in your life where you're gonna have a lot more time, especially when you get older. Hmm. Um, and you can you know, this is not a race. Uh, this is a marathon, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I've seen, I've seen so many phenomenal artists put up a record, put up three and I'm like, where'd they go? What happened? Mm -hmm. Were you just here for the money? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like, so that's the thing. There's a lot of artists from way back who you never hear from again. Um, and you know, and for me, like, you know, for me, this is a lifetime thing. You know, there's no, there's no end. There's no, you know, uh, for some of us, it's just how we breathe. House music for life. You know, absolutely. Cool. All right. Was there anything else you'd like to share with, uh, with listeners before we wrap up here? No, I think that's it. It's uh, you know, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening. Uh, I, I truly appreciate, you know, I hope this uh, podcast works out. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. I look look forward to reading the comments. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Cool. But, uh, awesome, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I wanted to tell you about a free gift that I've created for you. It's a guide tailored to uh, you producers who are trying to do music production around a day job and family responsibilities. I call it my release roadmap. Um, You know, as producers these days, we have a lot of tasks that we have to complete and a lot of hats hats that we have to wear. Um, And uh, this release roadmap is really a guide that uh, simplifies the workflow of completing and releasing a track from music production to sending sending demos to labels and then to and then on to promoting the release uh, when you implement a system like what i've outlined in uh, this roadmap all of the tasks become a lot less overwhelming and you have more more mental energy and time for creating music you can download this roadmap at tonyfuel.com roadmap again that's tonyfuel.com roadmap Thank you for listening and I will see you or hear you in the next episode. Take care.